This morning's call to worship is found in Psalms 40, verses 5 through 10, and page 520 and 521 in your Pew Bible. Many, Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done, the, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I, were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to, to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. Have I come? It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your, your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide my, your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Morning. I'm reading the Old Testament reading, which is uh, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. <clears throat> the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will, <clears throat> it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their, in their minds and write in their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the, from the least of them to the greatest of them. The New Testament today is found in Hebrews 10, verses 4 through 10. Please, tur please turn to page 1113 in your pew pipe. Bible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices, offerings. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the record. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Our gospel reading is taken from St. Luke 1, verse 26 through 38, in our Pew Bibles, page 944. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. My brain is so full. I thank God for our children. I thank God for music. I thank God for the diversity of this body. I thank God for our families. Um, wow. I'm ready to go home. <laughs> but wait, there's potluck, so... Uh, We'll find a way to kill 20 minutes or so. I don't know if you paid attention to the words of that song. They repeated quite a bit. And they weren't particularly complex. But they were theologically incredibly powerful. Theologically incredibly important. I love you, I need you. Together, we're something before God. We're part of a family. Amen. Let's see. Now, I can't help but wonder, when we talk about a song like this that, that hits on the vertical plane of relationships, that is to say, our relationships with one another, I can't help wonder if God didn't know something very special about that. Very special. You see, when we had just been created and humankind interacted with God in the garden there was no big distinction between vertical and horizontal relationships you see God didn't hide his face God didn't treat Adam and Eve uh, as lowly anything they were his sons and daughters. God fellowshiped with them. You see? Yes, the church is warming up and we get that wonderful. My hot air is beginning to make a difference. In the, yeah, angels' wings are starting to flap. And, 
So we had this fellowship and the vertical and the horizontal were blurred. And when sin came, there was a break in the vertical. And ironically, a break in the horizontal. You see, uh, Adam hears God's voice in the garden and finally comes out from where he's hiding and he says, well, I hid because I was naked and God says, who said you were naked? And they began to talk. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat of? And the horizontal relationship snaps like a cheap rubber band. Well, the woman you gave me. All right, men, own it. And the woman says, well, the, 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 the snake was so clever. I mean, it talks. Have you seen the thing? Okay, women, own it. Snapped like a rubber band, broken, horizontal relationship. Vertical and horizontal now broken. And God knows something about it before it even happens. Because he's going to say to them, look, I'm going to make a promise to you. Out of your offspring, which will be born in pain and suffering, and out of your living, which will be achieved by great toil on your part, there will be born one who will crush the serpent's head and it will bruise his heel. It's wonderful to contemplate the crushing of the head. Yes. And we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks. But there's a bruising of the heel that we contemplate in this season as well because it is our brokenness, our inability to relate to God and our brokenness in relating us to one another that calls the Son of God to us and costs him his life as a sacrifice for our sin. But in this season, it, it, it's good to think too that it isn't just about that. I want to think positively this week on the ways in which our prepositions are not just negative, but are positive. And this week, I want to focus on the ways in which God has drawn us in. For those of you unclear on the parts of speech, in is the preposition there. We are now in his circle, in his fellowship, in his favor, in relationship, out of something broken. So the promise comes to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, and then the promise comes to Noah. I believe that's Genesis 9. I have been known to get my references wrong. It's not something I'm proud of, but I am not blessed with Eric Thornburg's referential memory. Few of us are. Bless you, Eric. I'm right, it's Genesis 9. In Genesis 9, 8 to 17, God promises by covenant, signified by rainbow, that he will never destroy the earth by flood again. He 
repents, if you can imagine this, of what has happened, of the havoc wrought, the destruction wrought. It isn't that humankind didn't deserve what was given or sent or what happened. It's that God is realizing himself the cost of the severed relationship. We have another covenant that comes not too far after the one made with Noah. It's made to Abraham, and it's in Genesis 15. Why don't you just pop over there real quickly? It's not uh, hard to find. Abraham is called to a land, um, but in in, in Genesis 15 we get to this covenant. The word of the Lord came to Abram. He's Abram at this time in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's a covenant. God makes this promise. Abraham believes. Now, this is not a small matter. He's an old man and his wife is an old woman. The Bible says her womb was dead. And he believes. Now he goes through a journey to the fulfillment here, as we all know. He takes Hagar. Uh, Ishmael is born. He loves Ishmael, but it's not a son from his wife. Eventually Isaac is born. Eventually Ishmael and Hagar are banished. I mean, there's a whole drama here that unfolds. But Abram believes, and it's credited to him as what? Righteousness. Righteousness. God doesn't draw the bar very hard. He says, I'm going to make you a promise. Hi, excuse me. I'm going to make you a promise, and if you believe it, it's good enough for me. Is that a very high bar? I see some of you shaking yes, and some of you saying no. On the face of it, I would say no. But if you're 99 years old and contemplating having a child, it's a pretty high bar. (laughs) Okay? Faith requires more of us sometimes than we would like to uh, have it require, doesn't it? And yet, having said that, the gift is that for simply choosing to believe and taking God at his word and doing what we do, God rewards us, enters covenant with us. And in Genesis 17, there's more covenant. This time, circumcision is introduced. You can read all about that. That's the external sign of a people's belonging to God, of being a chosen people. I will be your God and you will be my people and this will be the sign. You'll be different from the people around you. Not just in this external way, but I will make you a different people by virtue of what you've come to accept and believe. You'll eat differently. You'll live by different hygienic standards. You'll be a model to the nations surrounding you. 
you'll have a moral code, a civil code. You'll have the commandments. None of that's arrived yet, but that's the next covenant, isn't it? Made on Sinai. God gives a covenant in law. It's a good covenant. Each of these progressive covenants are good covenants. And they're covenants of grace, aren't they? Because what is it that we deserve in this journey? Nothing. God owes humankind nothing. And he initiates each one of these. Okay, I got to rethink the destroy the whole world but one family thing. Here's the rainbow. I'm not going to do that again by water anyway. Am I selling God short in that? I don't mean to be cavalier. What I mean to suggest is, when else would God have had experience with that kind of thing? Do we not understand that we're the fallen planet? Do we not understand that sin is a novel thing in the universe? That our own rebellion is novel in the universe? Even though God can know as much as there is to know, I don't think he's evil in his core. I don't think God is incapable of learning something. Is that too radical for you? I hope not. And so he experiences the sin problem with us. And if you read the covenants, each one of them gets down the road a pace. There's a, a progression, if you will, in these. And a thread that runs through them all of grace and goodness and kindness and generosity. What did God have to give the people at the time of Noah when they got off the ark? Nothing. What did he give them? He gave them a sign. Now we know it's refracted light and so forth, but he established that sign with a covenant, with a word. I'm not going to do this again. Go out. Don't be fearful. Live your lives. Multiply. Fill the earth. To Abram, he says, you'll have a child of your own, an heir. And then he says, you will be my people and the sign will be circumcision. And then he says to Moses, give them my law. I will be your God and you will be my people and you will keep my what? Commandments. We didn't do a very good job of that. Big problems with that historically. I still don't think we've gotten the hang of it. People still today have trouble. In fact, it's gotten even worse, it feels like. People don't even know that there's Ten Commandments or care that there are Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Suggestions for Christians. They don't apply to me. So uh, it's not getting better. Well, there are a number of wonderful covenants in Scripture. Uh, there are those made uh, with the priest Phineas, those made with David. But the new covenant is perhaps the most uh, important one we'll have touched on today, and it's found in Jeremiah, which was our reading, 31, 
31 to 34. Why don't you uh, put your finger on that? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. God is saying I nurtured them, developed them, taught them, grew them, cared for them, loved them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive them their wickedness and remember their sins no more. It's a huge covenant. Huge. And Israel still persisted in its own way as we're so prone to do. So no more covenants come to us in the Old Testament, at least not that I readily identify. We hope for a day when we will have all internalized the goodness and grace of God, the precepts of God, the value of our relationships horizontally and vertically that we no longer violate, willingly at least, God's law in those ways. It's written internally. We don't have to tell each other. We just know. Like I'm hoping from my announcement, I'm hoping we get to the point where we just know trash doesn't belong in the cup holder. Belongs in the trash can. I mean, it would just be lovely to have us all just know that internally. Never have to say that. Um, That's a really trivial example. The deeper example is that we live lives in community, in relationship, vertically and horizontally in such a way that it's evident we're God's people. His work is in in us, through us. And that we're responsive and connected. That would be amazing. But we're still prone to wander, aren't we? So another sort of covenant came along. And it was our last reading, the gospel reading. And it's the most important because it goes right back to the first. Hebrews 10, before we get to that, reminds us, of course, that he doesn't want our sacrifices and our offerings and so forth. Well, let's take a quick look again. Hebrews 10. Never hurts to reference the word time and time again because we tend to forget. At least I do. Hebrews 10, 4 to 10. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. 
Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. That is amazing. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have all been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I didn't talk about the sacrificial system. And I'm not going to take a great deal of time doing that. Part of the way guilt was transferred was sacrifice, blood offerings, sin offerings. It was the temple system. An offering was made in anticipation of the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. It was a messy, somber sort of thing. I'm glad I'm a priest now and that we're all priests together and I'm not a priest then. That would have been a rough gig. Yeah, it would have. What I want to say at this juncture is this. That song that we heard, I love you, I need you, that connected piece that we would identify on the horizontal is also present in the vertical. Because when we read what we just read in Luke about the promise of the one who would become king, promise of a birth that would be not of a husband's will or a man's desire or decision, it wouldn't be normal. It would be of the spirit so that the child born would be called son of God. When we think of that passage in the incarnation of Christ, we see God taking the last necessary step. Promise hasn't worked. Destroying hasn't worked. Covenant hasn't worked. Now he will enter our reality as a human and destroy the broken vertical relationship and reintegrate the broken horizontal relationship by being man among humankind he'll meet face to face with his creation once again by reintroducing the horizontal and fixing us at that level he reintroduces the vertical and once again it's possible in Christ for us to be reconciled to God in relationship and in favor with him so this final covenant this final promise if you will well penultimate anyway because he promises to come yet again and take us to be where he is. But this penultimate promise that there would be one born of a virgin and that he would be king. That's the one I want us to hold on to. 
That's the one that solves the problem that we're dealing with in this Lenten season. It's the one, sadly, that we couldn't get a hold of before we crucified him. But as I've noted, there's no resurrection without a crucifixion. There's no celebration and no alleluia until we get to the ultimate. Until we get through, which is what I talked about some time back. In the meantime, as you are mindful this season, as you remember what your sin and choice, what your thoughtlessness and act cost the Son of God, as you seek to reorder your life spiritually this season, I hope it won't all be negative for you. I don't mean for this to be an exercise in beating yourself up for 40 days or whatever the period ought to be. I mean for this to be a time of mindfulness. And one of the things I hope that we'll be mindful of is the way in which covenant has drawn us in time and time and time again. And now, in the person of Christ, once for all. Shattering the brokenness that alienated us from God and one another so that we can all together sing that song. I love you. I need you. Together, there's something that God wants to do. That God wants to be to us and for us and with us. And that is the meaning of Emmanuel, right? God, not above, not beneath, not against, not beyond. God with us. All praise and glory, now and forevermore, be to the one who draws us in to himself and back into relation with one another. We praise you, our God. Amen.